started our Oscar Philadelphia office about two years ago. I was working at a pretty large ServiceNow recruitment firm before that, and I wasn't happy with not only the way candidates were being treated, the way clients were being treated, really just the experience candidates were having, and even my own experience as an employee at that company. So when the pandemic hit, salaries got cut, so I started looking around, and that's when I found Oscar, and I really think I found a home here. So that's when I started the Philadelphia team. I'm sure you guys have met a lot of the people here. They're you know amazing. I love our team here. They're super dedicated. And we wanted to put on an event for ServiceNow professionals. And Robert and Corey are someone that I've had a relationship with for probably about four, almost five years now. So when we were thinking about putting together this event, they were the first person that came to my mind. Um, I said, we need to get them here. They came all the way from Chicago. So Big thanks to them. Super excited to have them here. And at Oscar, what we're really doing is we're doing ServiceNow recruiting the right way. We're trying to improve the candidate experience as well as the client experience. So any clients we're working with as well as candidates, we're really just trying to improve that experience from uh, start to finish. So that's where we really add value and that's our goal. So I'm really happy to be a part of it and for our team to be here and for all of our guests. So thanks so much for coming. And now just a quick intro on these guys. So a 2022 developer MVP, seven-year ServiceNow independent consultant, 10 years working with ServiceNow, which is a feat within itself, a co-host of CJ and the Duke, a podcast that I know a couple of you guys have heard of, and your favorite partner's favorite architect, Corey CJ Wesley. So thanks so much, Corey. I'll take it. (laughs) Our other guest speaker and another co-host of CJ and the Duke is the Duke. A four-time ServiceNow Hackathon winner, a 10-time, 10-time ServiceNow Knowledge Conference speaker, a six-time community MVP, a two-time developer MVP, Robert the Duke Fedoric. So thank you guys for coming out here and uh, take it away. Thanks, guys. All right. Shoot, man. How are we going to beat that intro? (laughs) (laughs) Impossible, man, but we'll try. All right, we'll try. (laughs) All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another CJ and the Duke. This is episode 60 and we're doing it live from Philadelphia. Live from Philadelphia. (laughs) (laughs) We need something. Applause. (laughs) (laughs) All right. In this episode, we are going to be covering if we can do it all over again. Yeah, man. We're going to figure out, you know, we're going to talk about where we came from, like where we're going what we would do differently if we had to do it all over again. And this is our first live event. So never done uh, it before. Never done that before. So it might not go as smooth as we hope, but we hope it goes really smooth. Excuse us. We usually have our notes in front of us while we do the episodes. I'm not going to apologize for having my phone in front of me while we talk. But yeah, I mean, we've never done one of these looking at each other. This is weird. Never. (laughs) (laughs) I've never done one of these outside of my pajamas either. (laughs) And okay. typically with a bottle of bourbon. Yes. <laughs> I've passed the three drink minimum though. So, all right, let's get it started. Corey and I agreed the first thing that we would do differently when we started out is to form really good relationships with exceptional staffing and recruiting people. Yeah, absolutely. Forming relationships with folks like Oscar, I think would probably be the first place that I would start when thinking about joining the ServiceNow ecosystem. These relationships just pay back in, you know, dividends over and over and over, year after year after year. I mean, we've known Kyle for how long now? Like four or five years? A long years time, now. yeah. A long time, right? And 
even though we don't necessarily do work with Cal like every month or every week or every year, you know, having that relationship and being able to bounce things off of him, you know, in the ecosystem and having that phone call come through when he's got something mm -hmm. hot that he knows that I'm into, right? Like, and that for me, that's integration work, right? And he's like, hey, I got integration work, Corey, you're going to love this. I'm like, let's do it. It's, right. that, it's that passive benefit too, right? If you invest enough to form a good relationship with a good and reputable recruiter agency, Oscar's on the top of our list, obviously. Absolutely. Um, but it's just, you spend that energy and it works for you in the background. It's not something that you have to keep on. Like you're not doing your own sales, right? They're out there looking for you. Well, that's the great thing, right? Like you don't have to do your own marketing. You have to do your own sales, right? Like Kyle's doing that for me. Appreciate it, Kyle. Yeah. <laughs> Anytime. Anytime. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, it, like you said, Duke, it, it's passive. You know, you just wake up one day and you got an email or you got a text That's and right. boom, you got work. And, and make no mistake, not all these companies are created equally. There are some players in this space that are dangerous, harmful to get involved with. Absolutely. And so, let, let Corey and I'll make it easier for you. Put Oscar at the top of your list. Hey, that's where that's that's the where my list starts. It's Oscar, it's you know some space, and then it's like everybody else. <laughs> yeah. Like there's other topics we have got to talk about too. But Kyle keeps keep passing me money, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Kyle. What else you want us to talk about about Oscar? <laughs> Kyle is dashing and single. <laughs> <laughs> Well, no, we really do appreciate you having us here, Kyle and uh, Oscar as a whole. So definitely thank you all. And thank you all for helping create this event. It's been going great and we really appreciate it. All right. So now uh, to the show. yeah, let's talk about stuff we would do the same. Okay, rewind <laughs> however many years. It's over a decade for both of us. What would you do the same, Corey? All right. First thing I do the same is just read all the things, right? Like, so a lot of what got me here is just accumulating knowledge from all parts of IT as a whole and even stuff outside of IT and just reading and consuming whatever I can find. That stuff is kind of like the passive model we just talked about, like we're forming relationships with recruiters. It, does, it might not necessarily pay off like right then when you read it, but in a year, you're going to remember that article you read and you're going to think about this new ServiceNow product. And then those two things kind of get together and you're like, oh, I can do this this way or this is a value that we can offer to a client or I get that perspective, right? Like where they're coming from. And if you didn't read that, like one of my reading hobbies is business culture, right? And so there's always a lot of tidbits that I pick up from there when I'm interacting with clients, especially in like that conference room kind of setting, being able to pick out, okay, this is the person who's, who makes the decision. This person is here only because they get to say no, right? And then all these other kind of things. And then so when you have that kind of that volume of knowledge to fall back on, yeah, that, that's one of the things that I definitely wouldn't change. I have mine so similar. Anybody else grow up as an army brat? Nobody. Okay. <laughs> so I grew up as an army brat and my dad was an infantryman and he wanted everything to run efficiently in the house. And so things had to be done just so like, oh, you're brushing your teeth. No, you brush your teeth this way. Or you're making your bed. No, you're gonna make your bed this way. And it was just like, there's a set routine in the morning, you wake up, you get dressed, you brush your teeth, you make your bed. And that's the way that he wanted it. And that's the way that he taught me. And so the thing that I would do the same is daily drill right? The stuff that you do habitually in order to keep your preparedness high and, and your efficiency high. So I, I kind of did this by accident at the start of my career. It's just like, I come into work. It's kind of like, nobody's going to expect me to do anything kind of useful until about nine, right? But I'm here at eight and it's like, okay, let me, let's see what's up on the ServiceNow community. 
if the right. Slack channel was that was around then, it would be let, let's see what's on the Slack channel. Right. Or let's see about this thing that I was looking at on docs. And it yeah. was like 30 minutes every morning of trying to answer somebody's question, even if I didn't know it, looking at somebody's question and reading the answers that were there. And it was just, there was no embedded purpose out in doing it. There wasn't like, I'm really trying to figure out GRC and this, and thus I'm only going to read what GRC knows. Like I'm going to read the front page of the ServiceNow community every morning and either try an answer or read somebody's correct answer. And it's not much at the time, right? But then you stack that over 10 years. Right. 200 work days times 30 minutes times 10 years is oh, man, stupid amounts of R&D. <laughs> <laughs> it's just... Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a ton. Yeah, it, and everybody talks about it wouldn't be great to learn by osmosis. It's easy. Learn by osmosis. Like read something for 30 minutes every day and then stack that over years and you can't beat it. You just can't beat it. So and then, I would do that. And that's how you become a 10-time community MVP too, right? <laughs> not quite there yet. I need another three years. <laughs> so yeah, daily drill that includes motivated just what, – what what's the word I used? I forgot already. Yeah, but it's just automatic. I At this Osmosis. time, I sit down, I read docs, I read community, I read SNDev Slack channel. I don't care what specifically I'm learning, only that I am performing the drill. Yeah, exactly. Habit building. Yeah, habitual. That was yeah. the word. Yeah, no, that's a good idea. I'd say another thing that I am really happy that I that I do and probably wouldn't change either is that I was really glad that I generalized in IT before I specialized in ServiceNow. So that gives that gives me a huge base of IT stuff to kind of draw on when I'm dealing with folks. And 80% of the folks who are using ServiceNow are in the IT space. So when you can walk into that room and you can speak the, that language and actually know what they're talking about, then you know what know you know what you're talking about even more, right? Like when you can convince them that you understand them, understand their problems, that you've been there before, that you get it through the lingo, the, the whole nine yards. And generalizing in IT kind of allowed that. It allowed me to get a jump start in IT ops, right? Like, so doing discovery, doing orchestration, integrations, all things that are very like IT kind of specific that not a lot of other folks are doing in the industry or, or at least not doing very well just because they just, they don't have that experience. Like it's a yeah. whole lot harder to learn how to how a Cisco router works now, once you're in the service now ecosystem than it was 10 years ago, if you were doing it as your day job. And it means more now, right? If we could start our careers yes. again now, when service, like when we started, it was like ITSM or custom apps, pick your choice. Basically. Yeah. Right? And now it's like, they got so many business processes. I've even started losing track of them. But if I was like, let's say I, I did something else. Like at one point I thought maybe I should be a project manager. Wow. Um, <laughs> but like, let's say I had gone a year down that path. Yeah. Like the first thing I do is go into service now and do ITBM. Right. Because it matters so much that you just understand their language. Yes. The terms that they use, the rituals they perform, the artifacts that they consume in their day-to-day -day life. Nothing is worse right now than somebody who's got super flight experience on ITSM and then they come to an ITBM implementation thinking the world works the same. Disaster. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they don't no, even seriously. speak the same language. They literally don't speak the same language. Yeah. I, I mean, don't know where I, I was going with this. <laughs> no, no. I, <laughs> I follow you on it. Like it, it's one of those things like being a PM in a ServiceNow ecosystem, you need to know how ServiceNow thinks about PM, right? Yep. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. So you go and you learn ITBM and so when you come to a ServiceNow project and you are a PM, 
you know how ServiceNow is going to dictate how you should you, do this. But you can even be a PM and then go into ITBM implementations just by the fact that you understand their language. True. You don't have to be a developer. It's like the, the module's not that hard. And you could be the person who implements it's like, hey, listen, back when I was a PM, I thought it sucked at status reports, blah, 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 blah. But ServiceNow does a blah, 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 blah. And then everybody's happy. Man, that's like a whole nother podcast, right? Because, you know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about talking about like how you can take a, a process or part of the business that you know intricately and then use that as uh, and to become a ServiceNow expert without necessarily knowing how to write code. Right. Without even necessarily knowing a whole lot about the platform, like just coming in and actually giving direction on how to build a, a process is half of the things that I do day to day in whatever client with whatever client I'm working with. I'll give another thing I do. I do the same. So if you've heard any of my content on YouTube or the podcast, you'll know that storytelling for me is like an apex skill in the system. If you can tell good stories, you do everything else better by extension. And I didn't come across that skill by accident. I wasn't born with any natural storytelling talent. Uh, what I was born with was a lack of a filter and a big mouth. <laughs> <laughs> And so it would be like, it didn't matter the context. It didn't matter my position in the company. I give my opinion always. Right. And I either walk away from that with a corrected idea of how the world works, right? Yeah. Or a bunch of people that have considered my opinion and found value out of it. And I feel like th this can be a huge roadblock for a lot of people in terms of like, well, I'm not that I'm not a director, so I shouldn't say how this should be done. Or I'm Ooh. not the process owner. I shouldn't say how this is done. What if you're the only person who sees the blind spot? Yeah, you know, absolutely. Yeah. It, you know, it's like you're, you're, the, you're the only person who sees the danger coming or you're the only person with that weird experience that you had where you can say, listen, yeah, I've seen that in a different context. It doesn't really work the way you're saying. And there is no, at least I haven't experienced it. I, I've never experienced where the company says, who are you to say something? Me either. Right? Everybody comes to a table. They want to do what's best. Right? Yeah. They want to do what's best. And so they're, especially in this day and age with like the diversity ex, ex, uh, and inclusion initiatives and stuff, they're like, it's such a social thing to like, let's find out what other people have to say. And so like the one thing I would do the same is go right back to those days and no matter what give your opinion on whatever you're doing yeah you know that's i got a story about that actually i'll try to make it quick so back when i actually had a day job i was working in it and we had an outage for our website right and this website was this huge deal it was cio level important and it was down and it had been down it had been going down routinely over the last month or so and it was down and then the cio was getting called by like his bosses and so he was a little bit upset. So the, our best tech guy was in his office troubleshooting it, right? And I, I'm new to the company at that point. I've only been there about six months. But problem solving is what I do. Troubleshooting is what I do, right? So I'm at my desk troubleshooting it as well. As it comes out, right, like I find out what the problem is as our best tech guy in the company is finding out what the problem is. I call the CIO, the CIO up, right? Like I'm new guy, six months, call his direct dial. Hey, I figured it out. And, and as I'm telling him what it is, the guy, the other guy who's in office, he's like, yes, that's exactly it. I just figured it out too, right? And from then on, 15-year career at that company, I was on the CIO's radar for the rest of my career there. So it's all about speaking up, not being quiet, right? Not being scared. But folks hire you because of what you could possibly bring to the organization. So show them what you bring. That's boss moves right there, man. Absolutely, that man. Made it, clear. it did, it actually. <laughs> we got the one you and I agree on, right? The who's first... 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Which one is that? The customer first. No, I don't have that one. one. The other thing I do the same is the customer first. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You know what it is, Duke? It's about value first, right? It's about putting the business first. As an IT guy, right? Again, like I have a certain lens, or at least I had a certain lens that I looked at everything through. Everything was a, a problem that was to be solved by IT, right? Like a new router, a new server, a new configuration, some code that needs to be written, whatever. I often didn't see what the business actually needed or didn't know how to communicate with them and didn't understand how they were communicating back with us, right? A lot of that changed once I discovered ITIL. But, you know, what this really came down to is that being able to focus on the customer and understand what they valued and then being able to shift how we delivered to meet those values changed everything. Like it's one of the things that enabled the perception of IT to go from a cost center to a division that was actually adding value to the company. And I think the most practical day-to-day way that you would manifest this is to just see beyond the things you've been asked to do. It's just, hey, we want you to rearrange the category tree for the umpteenth time. (laughs) For the umpteenth time. And and just like be willing to just take a deep breath and say, hmm, but what does the business get out of this? And even just asking that question sometimes leads to better requirements Yeah. It leads to more invitations to be at the table, right? Well, that's key, right? The invitations to be at the table. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I would just abstract this one to to be willing to look beyond what you have been requested. Because the long-term success of your spot in the ServiceNow ecosystem is not how well you did the things you were asked to do. It was how well you were able to see beyond that, get to the intent of the matter, the heart of the matter. Yeah. Right. I hear what you're saying. The pain point is this, right? okay, there's a better way to manage that pain. Yeah. Sometimes it's like that. Other times it's like, okay, exactly what you asked for. Now let's just do it. But fully, like, I'd say more than 25% of the time, wouldn't you agree? I would agree with that. It's not about what exactly they're asking you for. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. If we just back off and say, what pain are you trying to address? Got to understand a problem Mm -hmm. first. That's right. If we understand the problem fully, a problem well known is a problem half solved. I read that on the internet. (laughs) Must be true. (laughs) Must be true. No, I'm just going to throw another plug in here too, right? Like ITIL Foundations, if you don't have it, you need it, get it, right? Like it just sets your mind, your thinking up along this path already. And and I mean, it's so valuable. It's, it's really cheap, really easy to pass the test. It's a great certification to have. And it gets you in this mindset of thinking about how IT works with the business. And that's just, I mean, it just unlocks so much. All right. I got, I got one more if we may. And yeah, go for maybe it. And then we go to the uh, things we do differently. The one thing I would do the same is be obsessive about reporting. Yeah. And this is like a scary one. Like there are people out there spending quarter million dollars to get something implemented and they have thought not one second about what reports they're going to run to see <laughs> if their outcomes are being achieved. Can you imagine going to a car lot and doing all the things you do at a car lot, going through all those negotiations, putting those keys in the ignition and turning it on. And only then you discover that you don't have wheels. <laughs> it's the exact same thing. Yeah. There's no difference. Can you imagine you spend a quarter million dollars and you don't know why? Well, <laughs> maybe the, the act of spending the quarter million dollars was the dopamine hit that they wanted. Right. Like <laughs> it's like I wrote the check. I feel really good about the check. We're good. I, I can't imagine a world where anybody wants to spend a quarter million dollars. When it's not your money. Maybe. I don't know if it's a quarter million dollars is someone else's money. I don't know, man. But 
before I worked in ServiceNow, I worked with the tool and I got obsessive about reporting then. Right. Right. And when I came to the ServiceNow ecosystem, it constantly shocked me how many deployments were being done. And it's just like, you know, you see the scope of work. It's 50 pages long. Here's all the stuff we're going to do. It's going to be awesome. Here's all the terms and conditions. And one bullet point on like page 18. Yep. Do reporting. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it is often do reporting. We would like five reports, three dashboards, Thanks. That's right. <laughs> Does it matter what's on them? I like literally. Okay. So like last week, Corey, we're now officially on the same client together. Last week I was on the phone with a customer. They spent absurd amounts of money implementing yeah. ITBM and they're like, and we don't really understand the two reports that they built. The two reports they built for them. <laughs> the two, and they don't understand them. Yeah. yeah that's a. This is a very interesting client. This is a great client, by the way. Yeah, a very interesting <laughs> client. They're moving fast and breaking things. And so <laughs> there's been a lot of fallout from that. But yeah, the two reports. I mean, there's yeah. there's so much. Yeah. We'll, that we'll, they don't understand, dude. Yeah. They don't like, yeah. why are you spending? You spend all that money to do it. You're spending everybody's time to put this record. Nobody wants to enter records. Right. This is something we do because there's an expectation of value at the back end. But effing nobody wants to sit there on service now and just like, who's the user? The user is Robert McCord. <laughs> nobody wants to do that. Right. Anyways, I went yeah. there. <laughs> so I'll piggyback on that one, right? So, I, you know, my thing is do the hard things, right? Like I've always done the hard things in my career. I continue to do the hard things. And so I have a bit of a reputation for taking on the hard things that nobody else will We'll do this kind of the whole thing about your favorite partner's favorite architect, right? So many folks in the ecosystem call me. I, I got one client who called me. This was a few years ago. Their architect who was building something turned out he they had overutilized him. He was tapped out, didn't build what, what they needed him to build. There was a client demo that was supposed to happen on a Monday. Didn't go off. He called in sick. So I get a call and he's like, hey. I need you to demo this guy's stuff. I was like, okay, where is it? He's like, it's an instance. All right, what happened? It's like, yeah, he was sick. I was like, oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> like it didn't happen. Like I'm, I t- so I told him, I was like, look, if he called in sick on demo day, he didn't have anything to demo, right? And that's just number one rule. So just so you know, right? Like your architect ever calls in sick on demo day, he doesn't have anything to demo. So, you know, he's like, okay, well, if we don't demo anything by Wednesday, we're going to lose this client. I was like, all right, let me take a look at it. So I, I, I jump in, I look at it, it's like, man, there's literally nothing here. There's not a script include, there's not a function, there's not a business rule, there's nothing. I got to build all this from scratch. It's a whole project mm. that was supposed to be delivered. And I got to build it from scratch in two days. I did it, right? Which is why I'm number one on his call list. But it's the whole thing about when you get in these situations, say yes. I mean, yeah. What's the worst that can happen? Get in harm's way, right? This isn't my problem, right? Yeah. Get in harm's way. And yeah. it's like, if you look at all the personas in the industry that people look up to, the Travis Tolsons, right? The Corey Wesleys. Yeah. The reason why people look up to them is because they have slain dragons. Exactly. Right? And you don't slay dragons by taking the safe work. Right. You slay dragons by saying, that sounds awful. I'm in. Okay. <laughs> right? And it's like, I feel like sometimes I have the right to say that was BS work, hated doing that or whatever. Yeah. But because I waded waist deep into the sewer system to fix the clog. Right? Yeah. So get in harm's way is definitely, it wasn't on my list, but I would, 
Yeah, man. I, yeah. I mean, it's, it's if you want to come up fast, just get where the danger is. Exactly. You'll get a reputation that way. I mean, yeah. if you deliver, if you don't deliver, I mean, people stop calling you. But <laughs> Nothing teaches you how to fight faster than getting punched in the face. So I think that's just, uh, that's a great one, Corey. Yeah. We, we're 26 minutes of recording. So let's maybe move on to stuff that we would do differently. Yeah. All right. You want to roll off on that one? Sure. So one of the things that I would do differently is one of the things that you would do the same, right? Mm -hmm. I don't have any daily rituals. I, I didn't start any when I started in this space. I didn't start any when I started in IT. I love IT. I love computers. I love technology. Those are all my all of my hobbies. But I don't like sit down and intentionally do any one thing. Not until recently, anyway. Um, I recently lost uh, launched a, uh, a newsletter, right? I'm on issue number two now. Right. I initially launched or created the newsletter like in 2020. Right. It sat. There was no content. <laughs> but I started this ritual like, OK, I'm going to write every day. And as I started to write every day, I've actually got content to put out. Right. And so it's one of the things that I would definitely do differently is to create that daily ritual way back in the past. Man, mine is really, really close to that one is that I would just write down everything. And again, I'm doing this over a span of like 14 years, right? But you get better and better at whatever you do. And so taking notes yeah. about just anything. That's and then, you know, you guys have all heard me <laughs> rant about documentation, right? And most partners think documentation is too hard because it takes too long. But I've been doing documentation forever and I just, it goes fast for me. Like I don't spend any more than 5% of a scope of work doing document, full documentation of whatever I've deployed. Yeah. But even though I have that skill, I would start earlier and do more of it because nothing you ever get that thing. Like somebody's like, how do you do this? I'm like, yeah, you just, um, yes, I did that, <laughs> I did that just, um, six yes. years ago. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? And exactly. it's just like, how did I do it? And then you're thinking you're wasting like an hour of time trying to rebuild it from your memory. But if I did just spent 10 minutes on YouTube learning how to make one note work really well or take yeah. some kind of note taking paradigm and just taking all the notes all of them and it helps you not only in terms of like it's six years later i'm looking back on this thing i solved but it's also like you know you're neck deep at a customer and you're supposed to do this thing and they're like oh but you're supposed to do that other thing too it's like not according to the meeting notes right right, <laughs> right exactly so it's it's such a great cya strategy and it uses different neural pathways. If you look at the science behind it, like it's just, it, it's different to write it down than it is to do it. It's yeah. different to write it down than it is to say it. Yeah. And so just writing it down gives you a different way for this stuff to just get absorbed and calcified in your head. So I would just write down everything. It's shameful the amount of knowledge that I've lost over this amount of time, just because I, I just said, I'll remember that. Yeah, no, totally. I find myself in that same situation, looking for code that I wrote six years ago, hoping that I got an update set backed up somewhere where oh. I can kind of pull it out, right? Like, yeah, no. <laughs> so yeah, write down everything, totally. Those things you rediscover every time, like how many times have you been troubleshooting email? And it's like, how come this email won't send? And because the email doesn't have the checkbox of send, send to event creator, Oh God. <laughs> like yeah. I learned that lesson every year for 10 years straight. And it's just, I feel like if I just wrote it down, yeah. it would just, anyways. Yeah, no. And you learn that lesson and, and not only that, but then you have to remember to learn that lesson yeah. too. Yeah. totally. Yep. One of the things that I do differently, right. Is I'd ask for help more. I'm pretty independent. I like solving problems myself. I'm pretty good at it. Right. But sometimes I waste time creating solutions that have already been created. 
instead of pinging Robert and say, hey, man, tell me about documentation along the lines of, you know, X, Y, Z. I kind of beat my head against it for, you know, a week. And then I asked Robert. <laughs> well, and, you did that for that performance analytics job, you remember? Absolutely, and it was man. like, you're the hero the next day. Dude, dude, <laughs> like, you literally saved my butt on that one. Like, let me tell you. So there was a PA job. I'd never done PA before. And the client was like, yeah, we need you to do PA for this thing. And we need this reporting and we need all of this stuff. I was like, yeah, great. I'll do that for you. Right. Because that's what I say. And, <laughs> and I was like, okay, I've never done this before. And then I went and looked at your YouTube and I saw a little piece of a PA thing. And I remember, and I, we, we talk all the time. Yeah. Right. So I was like, dude, PA help. Right. And you like sent me some stuff and then I used that stuff and then boom, I was a pro. Right. Like just like that. And so instead of beating my head against PA for like two weeks trying to figure it out, like I just called Robert. And so I need to do more of that. And I should have done more of that along all through my career. I'd probably be a lot further in, in places hey, where I want to be. That's another great tangent from the drill. Right. Because if you're doing drill and actually participating in the community yeah. and SN devs, you build up like a certain credibility and like a, you know what I mean? You build yeah. a social cachet yeah. so that when you're in that, when you are cornered, now you have people that know your name and know your contribution that you can just like ring their doorbell and say, Hey, I know you know a lot about portal. Can you just like help me with this one thing? Right. Right. So participating socially and doing the drill that way actually like is a force multiplier on this ask for help more. Yes. Cause absolutely. you know what you have to do when you, when you're a stranger and you have to ask for help, you have to beg for help. Right? <laughs> you know I mean? Like you have to, like you have to justify why somebody should spend an hour on you. But if you're a known name, it's like, oh, yeah, well, I mean, this will come back to me. So I'll give you an hour. Help. Can we talk about, too, like how you ask for help? That's a really important skill, like is knowing how to ask for help. I've seen people, you know, drop in like a sentence. Can you help me build change management? Uh, no, <laughs> no, I cannot. I can help you build a specific part of change management. If you tell me where you're stuck, be specific about the ask. And then you'll get help. And tell me what you did. Yes. You know what I mean? I hate chewing people's food for them. Oh. You know what I mean? It's like, if you oh, show me, disgusting. like open your mouth and show me that you chewed this thing halfway and then I'll help. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, apt metaphor, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, no, totally. Right. Don't want to reinvent the wheel. Help me help yeah. you essentially. And, and so when you're asking for help, realize that there's another person on the other end of the, of the screen or the phone or whatever. And that person has their own stuff to do. So if you want help from them, help them help you. Even though it was on the list. <laughs> hey man, we, you know, we, we just making it work. It's we're doing it live. <laughs> we'll do it live. All right. Okay. The next go? one I do, I should have done this within the whole, like write down everything point, but reflect on what you write. Ooh, go back and review. And it uses different neural pathways when you're doing something versus you're looking at something that has been done. Yeah. So, but do that to your own work and calcify the lessons that you've learned from it in your own mind. That's a good point. Write that down too. But it's like, if I like nowadays, maybe it's kind of old and I need to remember stuff better, but I'll do something and things like mutate over the course of a project too. It's like, I, I did ITBM this one time again, and it's like, it's three months later and it's done now and the customer's happy, but like, really, let's just rewind that what lessons can i extract from it yeah there's value in the review and extraction no i totally agree with you i'm on a client right now and it's a repeat client so i helped them last year and now we're at phase two but phase two is four months later than phase one ended 
I got no idea what I built last year. <laughs> I don't remember what the requirements were. I don't remember why we did made certain decisions. When we made some weird decisions, and I'm sure we had a reason, but I don't know what they were. And they're like, they want us to hit the ground running. Like they, they want, like you did this before, let's go. We were ready. I'm like, we're not. <laughs> so we got like a sprint zero to get back where we were so that we can help. But if we had done what you said, right, like internalized all of that and revisited and made sure we knew what we had done. And mm -hmm. you know, as, just as part of the process, we wouldn't be in this situation. So my next thing is what, what I've done recently, this is very recently, like early this year. So I've hired a business coach and that has been a huge unlock for me. One, because it's somebody to hold me accountable, right? Like um, ServiceNow is a great ecosystem. Market's really, really hot. Right. So, I mean, you could basically, if you're good at this thing, you can basically fall and roll into money all the way through the year. <laughs> like it doesn't take, uh, you know what I mean? Like if you're good at it, clients come, come looking for you. Thanks, Kyle. Uh, <laughs> you know, there are things that you should be doing to be more intentional about growing your business. Right. And I wasn't doing a lot of those things and I wasn't holding myself accountable. And I wasn't setting the goals like I should. And I wasn't, which is, a, again, the reason why I started a newsletter in 2020 and didn't launch it until 2022, right? <laughs> like, it's just things like that, right? I wasn't holding myself accountable. Uh, one of the best things that I get out of this is literally is just having somebody to talk to and hold me accountable and guilting myself. Like, I don't want to let this guy down. We talked about this stuff this week and we're going to catch up again next week. I don't want to say I didn't do anything, right? So now I got to do something. And that keeps me accountable. That makes progress, right? And the, and and, and it's, this is really just like a stand up. What did you do? What are, what are you having problems with? What do you see yourself doing this week? That sort of thing. But I mean, it's been a huge unlock. Well, it's like the gravy train is not going to be around forever, right? So I'll say that. It, <laughs> so it's like you got to move to strike. <laughs> Denied. <laughs> Put in the good habits, right? Like yeah. it's so easy to be so busy that you don't think about the good habits. Yeah. All I have time for is the work, not for the, yes. you know what I mean? Not for the review and the like optimization of my career. It's right. just, oh man, especially if you're an independent consultant and it's like you're worth your 60th hour and it's Friday night. It's like, yeah. you're not reviewing shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> like it's just, no, you're going to like go and just have fun with your friends or your kids or what. So it's like, it pays. I mean, you're lucky if you get the invoice out. I know, but even if, it, even if it's not like, okay, I'm not going to hire a business coach right now, then at least dedicate time in your week to be mindful about your future. Yeah. You know what I mean? About yeah. your future. And that kind of dovetails into like the reviewing what you wrote and write your, what you learned, but a little bit of time every week. That, you know what? I like, that's one thing I desperately would have needed is like 15 years ago to like treat this like a 15 year thing. Yeah. I just didn't know. It's like, oh, it's well, I mean, when we started, it was like a startup still. Dude. Yeah. It's like, is this thing going to last? It could be another tool tomorrow. But it's like, if I didn't know then. I knew it was the future. I just didn't know how big it was going to be. Yeah, get. like how big. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm like. Remember I'm, when they're like, someday we're going to be a billion dollar company. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And everybody's like, how are they going to do that? <laughs> 15 billion later. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, yeah, absolutely, man. It's like I said, a huge unlock. Just having that accountability partner just has helped me a ton. And even if you don't hire a business coach, right, getting an accountability partner that you check in with once a week and consistently, I think can only help. All right. We got 30, we're on 40 minutes of record. Should we skip to Q&A or? Yeah, why not? 
I'm just going to be up here just to kind of facilitate. But does anyone have any questions? My oh, man nice. Sookman in the back. Actually, if you do ask good questions, I have homemade soap that I made. Oh, oh. question gets you a bar of homemade soap. It smells amazing. I already I did get a bar myself. I couldn't resist. So you definitely do want to ask some questions. So Sook, let's, what, let's hear it. So the question is, what kind of team would you build around a custom app project? What kind of skill sets would you look for? Is just kind of generally, right? I love when I call them real devs, like air quotes, right? Like people who, if ServiceNow imploded tomorrow, if all the data centers just, where did they go? Uh, if you would still be a developer, right? I love when those people get onto ServiceNow, but I wouldn't take somebody raw from that and go, because there's a learning curve. And especially around the objects and APIs that ServiceNow has available, there's just no substitute for a couple of years experience in what APIs I can call and what, like how would a, how would a, like a real dev do glide record? You know what I mean? They, it would make a lot they of don't. sense to them, but like somebody <laughs> like me, I'd look at them and be like, what the hell are you? Especially if you're building a scoped app, which to me means real serious now, okay? Like we're not, we're not playing around here. Yeah. Like they'll, even have, they'll even have like a familiarity with scoping, which I think is a different, on the outside, it's way easier. You got GitHub and all the ways of source control. And then yeah. somebody comes into ServiceNow world scoping. Oh, that's kind of like this. And so not I really, would be looking though. for somebody with, go ahead. How would you even explain like scoping? Scoping part to a to a to a real dev or to uh, to a recruiter. Okay, scoping to a recruiter. Um, okay, imagine that everything we build in service now is a Jenga block. Okay, and you know we just we start stacking all the Jenga blocks and it looks pretty good, but it's getting higher and kind of wobbly. And you put your Jenga block on the top, and you know this thing is balanced, right? So if this all falls down, not your fault, right? Right. But you know that right at the bottom, there's just like, you know that if weight is taken out of the system right here, if somebody changes this block, total F-bombs, right? Right. Now imagine somebody just takes that block out because they're like, oh, yeah, we just need to add this function to this thing. Or we just need to change the way this function works all the way up the Jenga tower, bam, blows up. Yeah. So I like to think of scopes as like a really durable bubble around the stuff that you build that's not out of box. It, it's not that it makes it impossible for people to uh, F up your day. It just makes it, they have to be intentional about effing up your day. Yeah. Right. So they have to like literally go to the menu and manually say, I want to work in this scope now. Yep. And it just, just that manual effort makes it harder to knock over the Jenga tower. And it makes it a lot less, it makes it a lot more organized. Right. So yeah. it's not like you can't build on this because it's in a scope. So intentively, purposely go into that scope if you want to change it. There's another question. Yeah. So, so basically somebody that understands scoping very well, well, I like I, I, there's two things that you have to m maximize for when you got a scoped out project. Number one, is it safe and future proof? Does it take less energy to maintain than other options? Right? Well, no, no, like there's two things, right? There's, does, does the app work the way we hope it does? Right. Do we get the value out of it we want? And then next, is it hard? Right? Is it a hard target? It's it it lives on on its own. It doesn't take a whole lot of energy to maintain, both administratively, but also can other developers accidentally 
mess this up for us? And that's what the scope question resolves. Knowledge of scope is just one piece of that puzzle, right? But if you're dealing with like, hey, we got this ServiceNow project, it's building a custom app. There's no substitute for having somebody who has built custom apps on ServiceNow before. I love when full stack developers come in, they learn the platform, they start building the platform, they bring their world of knowledge in to, to do that. But you can't do it from that. That's, that's a yeah, I mean, what I'd add to that too is that it's just different coding on ServiceNow than yeah. it is coding outside of ServiceNow. They you have know, so many objects and stuff already pre-built for you, right? Yeah. Like and, you don't have to build a business rules engine. Right. You don't have to build an interface. Like right. it's just... And, and getting your head around the fact that some of this stuff is already done for you and, and just hooking into it instead yeah. of rebuilding it. And then also thinking about code maintenance, right? Like when this thing is done, somebody who likely has a whole lot less experience developing than you will have to maintain it. And so if you come in with your 15 years of Node.js and your React and all of that, and you build this thing and it works, that's great. But then if somebody who's got six months of ServiceNow experience has to maintain it and they can't figure out like what half of the calls mean because they haven't yeah. gone that deep into the JavaScript world, right? Like now you've created a different problem. Fantastic question, by the way. Come on up and get a bar of soap. These ones are for yeah. these ones are for vegans, by the way. If you're vegan, this is your choices. So, so what flavors have you got? This is coffee. This is tobacco and bay leaf. This is barbershop scent, and that is suede and hickory. Yeah. Amazing, amazing. Our next question is from Joe here at the front. What do you got, Joe? Thanks for being here. This is awesome. Uh, so for those at home, uh, the question is, what's the difference between a technical architect and a solutions architect? From my perspective, they're all the same, right? And that's not in the industry, right? That's just my perspective on it because I like to do all the whole thing, right? I like to be the person that's building a solution. I also like to be the person that's actually talking through the solution with the client. But uh, ultimately, like a solutions architect isn't always the person who's going to build the code, right? They're not the person that's going to do the development work. They're the person who is going to sit with the client, figure out the problem, figure out the solution, figure out the architecture of the solution, break it down typically into stories and pass that off to someone else. Now, the technical architect is going to be the person typically figuring out, OK, now we have a solution. How do we align it best practice wise to the instance? And then also, how do we build it? What code do we use? Where do we put it? You know, does this a script include business rule? Are we using a scope yeah. or are we not using scopes? Uh, you know, all of those kind of more like nitty gritty, you know, instance specific kind of um, kind, uh, kind of decisions typically fall under the technical architect where the solution as a whole for the instance itself, right? And for the client typically falls more with the solutions architect. Yeah, but I, you know, I like doing both. What is a bigger upside? Mm. Can ask a question. I can maybe take that. Yeah, go for it. So I, I think it's a really interesting time to ask that question because I think the word architect has done a lot of work. Yeah. You know what I mean? And some work that it has no business doing. And it's rapidly, I keep using the word calcified. I need a better word. Um, it's <laughs> solidified. It's, it's really hardening. Like mm -hmm. ServiceNow is trying to solve the problem of what is an architect actually. Yeah. Right? So they have the certified master and certified technical architects. I don't think you can get through either path without having technical savvy, even certified master, you have to have the certified dev, right? Yeah. And I think they're trying to make it a lot more specific a solution. If you reround two years, I would say there are basically BA architects 
program manager architects, developer architects, and admin architects, yeah. right? People who did a lot of time in each of those disciplines and somehow managed to be the, the shot caller. And so in one sense, I worry because if I want to bill myself as an architect, it's right. delicious rates. I have to do architectish things and that's hardening. <laughs> but at the end of the day, I'd rather be the person who's invited into the room for the seat of the table because shit gets done, right? And gets done well and good outcomes are made. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned like the, the word architect doing a lot of heavy lifting. I think ultimately what the word architect does is get you a seat at the table. table. Yep. If you even if you're a master uh, solutions architect or if you're a technical architect, either way, you're going to get invited to the meeting to have a voice and have a That's seat right. at the table. Right. Like, I've seen at a customer at a partner product owners indistinguishable from architects. Yeah. But I've also seen architects that don't know the first thing about product ownership. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's such a gray area. I want to say, don't worry about it. You know, put some thought into it because everything's really becoming rigid now, but it's hard to worry about. I would worry about delivering the value. I would worry about saying my piece. I'd worry about calling the shots. Right. And then everything else will kind of work out. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd, I'd worry. And then I'd choose like a path, right? If you like being more technical, then you would go more technical architect. If you like being more yeah. kind of consultative solutions. From a recruitment perspective, I totally agree with that. So let's say if you found yourself as a developer right now, then you would probably naturally want to go more down that technical architect path. If you find yourself as a consultant now, a project manager, like Robert said, maybe even an admin for several years, you might find yourself more passionate down the solution architect path. The technical architect path is just a tough transition for someone that's been functional their whole career. But if you've naturally been in that development space before, you're going to find that a very easy transition. Now, what's more rewarding? You know, that's a really tough question. It really depends on how you look at a career, right? I do think there's a lot of value out there for technical architects right now because it's really hard to find that technical knowledge. But you can find a lot of value as a solution architect if that's something you're passionate about and you bring that same skill set from a functional side. So as opposed to fitting that, what they say, that round peg into a square hole, really follow your passion. Um, so if that is the functional side, sitting with stakeholders, definitely look down the solution architect path. But if you find yourself naturally more technical, try that path because you will find it rewarding from both sides. But again, a great question. Thanks so much, Joe. Thanks. Coming yeah. through, Kyle. Yeah. <laughs> Come grab a soap. There's some audience commentary. I'm not sure if the mic's picked it up, but there's audience commentary about the CMA being set up as a C-suite discussion, aspirational kind alignment, of yeah. alignment role. And I'll say this and don't nobody tell ServiceNow I said this. Okay. I, I think <laughs> that the ServiceNow master architect is hyper valuable to the ecosystem. I don't think it's something that is meant to be pursued from a client perspective. They want the CMAs at the partners getting customers to spend a million dollars more. They don't want them to be at the customers saying like, yay for me, I made the CMA. Like they're, they're very motivated to get their best partners to put their best people in the CMA program. It's ultimately a sales initiative, not a career alignment initiative for the broader ecosystem. It's, it's and I, I say that without taking anything away from the program. It's sure. awesome. We need it. But just go in eyes wide open because actually like somebody's going to pay 15000 for this, right? Right. And 
if you're like working for a customer, you don't want that person to be you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Just, we'll put no, it that way. No, absolutely. I, I was, I was, I was going to cap that off too by saying, like, if you're thinking of an independent path, technical architect is the way to go. All right. Any All other right. questions? Any other that questions was a good comment, there? though, John. Come up oh, and grab us. So, quite a few. All right, Roseanne, <laughs> what do we got? So the question is on what would you, what advice would you give a youth yep. going into IT? And I'm going to actually like because you said there's a thought leader that says the ten thousand hour rule to become exceptional. I think that was, there's a YouTube video on, check out the 40 hour rule because the guy's main intellectual piece was that 10,000 hours is for like Olympic level performance, but getting good at something is actually like a 40 hour experience. If you had the best kind of learning experience over 40 hours, you could be, you could be a good cook. You could learn to surf. You could learn to like, I don't know, turn wood on a lathe and be good at it, adequate at it, let's say. And I think that would be my advice to that youth would be don't make exceptional Olympiad right, right. performance the enemy of being really good at something. And it doesn't take that long. Like an ITIL course isn't even 40 hours end to end, right? Yeah, that's true. Reading the ITIL books might be, yeah. right? And there's other, I've heard other rules of thumb. Like if you read 10 books on any subject, you're in the top 10% of anybody who's ever executed that subject. Right. So I would be like, don't worry about the time to mastery. Just learn profoundly right now. Justify why you're interested. Don't just like IT sounds like it pays good. Bad idea, right? <laughs> but it, there's something to captivate about you to justify that you're going to spend 40 of your best hours yeah. cranking on it and go from there. There's the question. Yeah, I, I'm really bad at giving advice about it specifically because i've been doing it since i was like six right <laughs> so it's just it's been second nature for me like i you know it was a, a radio shack tandy trs 80 you know it was apple 2e right then it became you know windows machine with dos 622 and windows 3.1 and spending hours literally hours trying to figure out like not i wasn't trying to do anything like productive i was trying to make games run how can I get Doom to run with four megabytes of RAM? Four megabytes <laughs> of RAM, right? Through all of those situations, I became good at IT. And all of those situations occurred because I didn't have money to pay anyone else to do those things for me. And um, I think the beautiful case about ServiceNow is it doesn't have to be an IT entryway anymore. That's true. You and, know, and, and that's what I was, yeah, that's what was go, where I was going to get. Like IT now is different, right? IT, when I came up, was hardware. You know, you got to put the computer together. You got to know how all of how it works. All of that stuff is abstracted now. Computer, the part's only going yeah. one way. The, the operating system takes care of everything you need to. There's no IRQs. Nobody knows what this stuff means, by the way. Yeah. No, there's no IRQs or DMIs or anything like that, right? <laughs> like all of this stuff is taken care of you by, for window, by Windows or Mac OS or whatever, right? So the only thing to focus on is what part of IT is interesting to you? Are there any prerequisites? for that part of IT and then start there. Yeah. Yep. You want something on that, Kyle? Yeah, just quickly. So we get this question all the time from people with no experience right out of college. How can I get into the ServiceNow ecosystem? Take the jump, do it every day, train yourself every day, and you'll find yourself in six months, you're gonna be getting reached out to by these companies. There is a huge demand for ServiceNow talent right now, but the way to get there if you don't have experience is to be consistent and if you're consistent, success will come. But that's the advice I give everyone that I talk to that wants to get in the career. So hopefully that's helpful. I got a question for the crowd here, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. 
Show of hands, does anyone out here actually know what a parallel port is? Two people. <laughs> yeah, so find the prerequisites. Start there. <laughs> there we, go. we have any other questions out there? She can also come up we and grab some soap. One more. Yes. Lewis in the back. Okay. Kind of Does a whole episode on that. <laughs> I can take it though. That's 45 uh, minutes right there. Yes. Okay, listen. Yeah. yeah, okay. A custom application is to apply process where none already exists. So there is no, oh, we got five, so we should, mm, like you can't go out of the box, therefore you're doing a custom application. And so the right question is, how hard did you look for alternatives that were out of the box? Did you even do that discipline? And yeah. if the answer to that is yes, then okay, great. Does the business need this? Yes. Great. Custom application is your only option. Uh, that whole, we have a whole episode with Travis Tolson on customization yeah, versus configuration. configuration yeah. You totally listen to that episode because it's not, it's the whole idea of like customization, bad configuration, good is way too simple, way too simple. Absolutely. Like I mean, for this, harmfully simple. Yeah. yeah. For, for me, this comes down to tech debt, not creating new tech debt. Yep. You know, you can customize to your heart's content as long as you do it appropriately. Follow the ServiceNow best practices so you don't get in the way of what they're doing. Yep. If you do that, then customization is just fine, right? If this platform yep. is built for customize, customization. Careful customization. You can't. You know, <laughs> sure, careful. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, look, they can't build every single line of business process. And there are some cost, custom processes out there that folks have that you know, they're never going to build. Yep. So is the solution don't use service now or is the solution have someone build it, right? Yeah, so and I, I, think it, I think it's that whole hygiene and care and methodology yeah. and, and standards that you put in place so that you can build safely. I've seen customers that have one custom app and it's yeah. a disaster. Yeah, I've seen other customers, man, there's one, they spoke at Knowledge a couple of years back. Uh, I can't remember their name. Oh, I think I know what you're talking about. But they actually have a, it's one of ServiceNow's biggest citizen developer projects. Yeah. And they literally like people in their company just come, I'm going to build a custom app. Sure. Yeah. Here's your space. And you know what I mean? But they can only do that because they did the really hard work of having just massive architectural attention, huge engineering approach to like, yeah. Hey, listen, how do we take nobodies and let them build apps on ServiceNow? But they've done that hard work and now they do it. And they've got tons of custom apps yeah. that are brilliantly managed, exquisitely made. So I hope that answer makes sense because it's not a direct answer, but yeah. My understanding is that sometimes if you create a custom app, that sometimes ServiceNow will actually create that app. Oh man! Next question. I mean, listen. When I was when before ServiceNow, when I was using so the question, the follow up question is good. Good call. Is that sometimes what we're hearing is that sometimes if a custom app is created. The service now will then create that custom app themselves later. All right. Go do I don't it. see why it's a bad thing. <laughs> I, like, I, I literally don't see why it's a bad thing. When I, when I used products before ServiceNow, there was one HP OpenView Service Desk. Mm. 
the worst thing that that mankind has ever committed to code. Yeah, it was horrible. Like it was just an abomination, is what it was. Mm-hmm. And we literally had we had to get some kind of new custom table to store something exotic. And they're like, "Well, see, the problem is if you build a table called X Y Z, then we might have the same idea someday, and we'll make a table called X Y Z, and then SQL is going to barf all over you because the database can't have two tables of the same name." Yeah. And then it was like two weeks later, we talked to ServiceNow. They're like, nah, man, we put a U underscore in front of the ones you build yourselves. <laughs> right? And it's just like, oh, you know, that sounds really easy. And it's like, build whatever you want. I'm trying to figure out what would be the harm. And their first foray out of ITSM was HR, right? Right. Because they looked at everybody's custom table names. And it's like, everybody's building HR stuff. Let's build one too. But did that bring harm to the people who built their HR tables? Probably not. And if you read the licensing really close, they have this intentional clause. Like, so if you build an app that you intend to use for something that we already do, you're paying that license fee, which makes total sense. So it would just be another iteration of that paradigm where it's like, okay, you built an HR module. You're happy with it. We have an HR module too. Welcome to HR licensing. Yeah, basically. Yeah. And if that's a problem for you, then you didn't do the value proposition. Like, is this, yeah. th- is this app worth it to build if you have to pay for it? True. I think there's another aspect to this too, right? Like that we glossed over. And, and that is, I built this really cool app and it's working for my client. And maybe one day I might want to monetize this in App Store. Mm-hmm. Oh, next instant, next uh, release, ServiceNow released the very same app I had. That burns. Yeah, that burns, right? <laughs> it's a I, sick yeah, burn. That has been known to happen. That happens. You know, I... Uh... Yeah. People always tell me, don't get in the way of the train. Yeah. Don't build yeah, your house I mean, on the tracks. Basically, yeah. <laughs> All right. I think we have time for one more. No, we're good. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for coming out. And thank you for all the CJ and the Duke is hosted by Robert the Duke Fedoric and Corey CJ Wesley. We are both freelance vendor agnostic ServiceNow experts who can help you in three different ways. If you want a true consigliere in your corner for your ServiceNow implementation, if you want to tell your customer story on CJ and the Duke, or if you want your brand in front of the largest independent ServiceNow podcast community, check the links below for how to contact us. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.